You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. We're delighted to have with us former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Mr. Tom Vilsack. He's speaking with us today as the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Welcome to Dairy Voice, Mr. Secretary, and thank you for being with us. Uh, Joel, it's good to be with you. I think it was 2017 when you adopted a plan at USTEC, uh, a plan you called the Next 5%. Kind of tell us about that plan and, and how is it going? Well, when we launched this plan, we had basically three goals. We wanted to increase the volume of product that was being sold in the export market from the dairy industry. We wanted to increase the value of the products being sold, and we wanted to increase the percentage of our uh, milk production uh, and solids, was, which was going into the export market. In, in 2016, we, we essentially sold a little over 2 million metric tons of, of uh, product. In 2018, we, we sold uh, a significant increase uh, above and beyond that volume to the point where we actually uh, increased it by a little over 360. 16, uh, 316,000 metric tons, setting a record for volume. Uh, this year, the volume is off just a bit, but it is still uh, significantly higher than it was at this point in time in 2016. So our goal in terms of increasing volume is being met during the 5% plan. On the value side, we've seen a significant increase in the value of products that are being sold around the world. Now, we ended the year in 2016 before we began the next 5% plan, selling a little bit over $4.7 billion worth of product to the rest of the world. 2018, uh, we got up to 5.5, almost 5.6 billion, an increase of about $900 million. And this year, we're about uh, $100 million above where we were this time last year. So we're looking at potentially as much as a billion-dollar increase in the value of product that we're sell- selling from where it was in 2016, and ever increasing volume value uh, each and every year uh, since we started the next 5% plan. The percentage of uh, product that's going into uh, into exports is also increasing, and so all three goals at this point in time are being met. We've got obviously some interesting headwinds, trade policy, which I'm sure we'll get into, but. So we're pleased with the progress that's been made to date. And, and uh, fortunately, uh, as we see a number of uh, factors taking place in, in the market uh, with product production coming in line with uh, domestic consumption and exports, we're finally beginning to see an increase in the price being paid to our dairy farmers. So we hope to be able to continue that uh, in the years to come. And the strategy is pretty simple, Joel. It's more people, it's more promotions, and it's more partnerships, all designed to make sure that uh, people are aware of the, uh, the, the versatility, the quality, the safety, the nutritional value uh, of our various dairy products uh, sold in a variety of different markets. Well, that's good news for all. Um, but you did mention headwinds. Talk a little bit about some of the trade ja- challenges uh, here with USMCA, with Canada, with Mexico, here on this side of the Pacific. You know, the reality is that anywhere from 15 to 16 percent of our product is currently in the export market. And so anything that creates instability or uncertainty about exports uh, can potentially impact and affect how much we sell and where we sell it. Obviously, there were, were three actions, I think, that have impacted the sales. One is that the EU uh, essentially had oversupply, and we were dealing and have been dealing with the intervention stocks uh, for the last couple of years. We're finally seeing that volume of product getting through the system, uh, which should help stabilize and help uh, powder prices in the future. We obviously saw a lot of negotiation concerning uh, the USMCA, the trade agreement between Mexico and Canada. Canada. Mexico has now ratified that agreement. Canada is waiting for the U.S. to ratify it. And I'm confident it's going to get ratified. And when it does, it essentially preserves the market that we currently have in Mexico, which is tariff-free, 
uh, gives us a competitive edge. We want to see a continued growth in that market, and I think we will. But we'll also see a slight increase in market access in Canada and hopefully an end uh, to Class 7, their pricing system that basically discounted world powder prices to the point where we all have suffered because of the supply management system in Canada. Uh, so uh, confident that this is going to get done. I think people are getting very, very close to ironing out some of the details and some of the questions that members of Congress had about enforcement, about labor and environment. Uh, but this is clearly a, a good opportunity for dairy. It's been calculated that once it's fully implemented, we could be looking as much as $300 million of additional sales between Canada and, and, and Mexico because of the agreement. So keeping our fingers crossed that that happens. Also keeping our fingers crossed that the purported agreement that's being negotiated uh, between the administration and China actually gets done to the point where we have a clear view of what could potentially be a, a reemergence into the Chinese market. We know that they need product. We know that we can provide the best product. We just have to be in a competitive circumstance and with the retaliatory tariffs that are currently being assessed on a lot of our cheeses in particular and some of our powders were just not competitive at this point. And we've seen about a 45% drop-off in uh, business activity in China since the establishment of those tariffs. So that's been a significant headwind. African swine fever, kind of a double-edged sword, obviously resulted in tremendous loss in China and their hog industry. Uh, but it, I think it provides us an opportunity to make the case that whey permeate can be used by the Chinese to rebuild that hog industry more quickly. Uh, we made that case. I made that case personally to Chinese officials. And uh, following my visit and as a result of the work of the administration, I think that they made the decision to remove the tariffs, so the retaliatory tariffs on some of our rate, whey permeate products. Uh, and so hopefully we'll see a re resumption of that important line of business in China. If the uh, president uh, and the president of China are able to get together here in the next uh, few weeks and sign an agreement, just tell us a little bit about what you look for in, in the dairy uh, provisions of, of that potential agreement. Well, the, the hope is, of course, that we get back to where we were before the retaliatory tariffs were assessed. You know, we had negotiated and encouraged the Chinese government unilaterally to reduce the, the, the existing more permanent tariff structure on dairy products, which put us at a real disadvantage to our friends in New Zealand and Europe. And they did that. They, they went from 12% to 8%, and that gave us a, a margin between the 4% that was being assessed in New Zealand and, and the EU and the 8% being assessed to us, a margin that we could make up uh, competitively. We could remain competitive. But when they added the, the retaliatory tariffs, it just put us basically out of, out of business. Uh, so what we're looking at is hopefully a return to where we were before the retaliatory tariffs were assessed, in which case we can then compete uh, very, very aggressively for business in China, both on the cheese side and on the powder side. Here's a word from our sponsor, INTL FC Stone. How could the dairy markets be impacted by the global economy next year? Come to Vision 2020, Global Markets Outlook next February in Orlando and find out. INTL FC Stone's premier event will combine industry-leading economic and commodity outlooks all in one conference. Registration opening soon. For details, visit ifcs.co slash vision 2020. Again, that's ifcs.co slash vision 2020. And we're back. Uh, we do have a new agreement with Japan. And also you talked in your presentation at World Dairy Expo about market potential in Southeast Asia. 
That's a good example of a headwind and, and uh, basically good news. The headwind was produced when we made the decision to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which essentially got us uh, in a situation where we allowed our European competitors and our New Zealand competitors to enter into free trade agreements with Japan, providing them a significant increase in, in competitive edge, on, on especially on powders. Uh, they saw immediate reduction on the tariffs on powders, which made us uh, it just absolutely not competitive. We remained competitive on the cheeses, but over time, had we uh, not had the agreement that was recently announced, we would have seen a widening of that difference on cheese tariffs, and we would have ultimately been uh, put at a competitive disadvantage on cheese. We're seeing actually a, about a six to seven percent increase in cheese sales this year over last year in Japan. We saw about a nine percent decrease in powder sales. So the, the tariffs uh, and the pulling out of the TPP had a negative impact, at least on the powder side. With the agreement that was negotiated and now is subject to approval by the Japanese Diet, which is their parliament or their Congress, uh, once that's approved, we expect and anticipate it will go into effect somewhere around the first of uh, the new year, which puts us in a position to once again be competitively uh, marketing both our powder and our cheese in Japan, a market which we see great potential. Uh, it's anticipated that the demand for cheese in Japan alone uh, should increase at about 4% a year for the next 10 years. While they have an aging population, they also have a population that's learning about the benefits of whey protein uh, in their diet, uh, especially their senior citizens. And so we're going to uh, potentially see a relationship we have with a franchise arrangement called Curves, which uh, caters to senior women. They sell a whey product uh, on a subscription form, which we, about 50% of all the whey that they do sell comes from the U.S. They're hoping to expand, extend their membership from uh, roughly three thousand to another seventy to eighty thousand members of their uh, overall organization that would be uh, subscribing to this whey protein product, which obviously would result in additional sales. On the cheese side, we obviously had great great turnout uh, of U.S. cheeses in the uh, most recent U.S. Cheese, uh, world Cheese Award program. Uh, 131 medals, including best cheese in the world, coming out of Oregon. An opportunity for us to really showcase the quality of U.S. cheese as well. The Japanese are going to be introduced to that quality uh, in an innovative uh, and creative marketing effort with uh, Chesco, which is a department store. It's a high-end cheese store and, and caters to high-end department stores and retail stores. They're going to take eight, like six to eight of our, of our specialty cheeses and really showcase them to uh, Japanese consumers around our holiday time around their, uh, as well as their holiday period in November, December. So it gives us an opportunity to really uh, push U.S. cheeses. And then we've got the Olympics coming in in 2020. We would assume that there are going to be a lot of uh, fast food consumption in Japan during those uh, those uh, that two weeks of the Summer Olympics, uh, which gives us an opportunity to work with our franchise uh, arrangements and the uh, Japanese Pizza Association to showcase uh, some of our mozzarella cheeses. So uh, a lot of good opportunity in Japan uh, and certainly in Southeast Asia, we think with growing growing middle classes and urbanized population with a young population, uh, population that's on the go, we think we can create new opportunities there. That's one of the reasons why we're investing in what we refer to as a center of dairy excellence that will be located in Singapore. It'll give us a full-time presence in that incredibly important market in the in sort of the innovation food hub of Southeast Asia. It'll give us an opportunity to showcase on a daily basis the U.S. dairy story, the sustainability story, the safety story, the, the uh, nutrition and, and functionality and versatility story that we can absolutely talk with significant pride about and a place where we can uh, basically provide with a test kitchen and sensory panels a way of, uh, of really showing people the benefits of U.S. dairy. So we're excited about that opportunity.
you just mentioned some particular brands and products uh, that that you're working with in, in uh, internationally. Of course, we've seen news reports recently of a shipment of fluid milk, especially prepared fluid milk, from California to China. And before we started our conversation, I did ask you about that. Can you just uh, talk a little bit about the background that that you're familiar with uh, on fluid milk? You know, one of the challenges we have domestically is that uh, Americans just don't consume as much fluid milk per, per capita as we once did. Uh, many reasons for that. But uh, a principal reason is that there's an awful lot of competition for beverages these days. And I think the key message for the U.S. dairy industry is the continued need uh, not only to export, but also to look for innovative ways to do so. And the ability of uh, California producers and processors to figure out a way to get uh, fluid milk shipped to China in a way that guarantees the safety and quality and, and, uh, again, versatility of of that product is a major milestone and uh, offers, I think, an opportunity for us to continue to learn more about how fluid milk shipments could potentially take place, in addition to the other wide array of products that we currently uh, currently try to sell to the rest of the world. In terms of the U.S. competitive position, speaking with uh, DMI's Tom Gallagher not too long ago, he mentioned that you had said that the uh, diversity of U.S. farming, of U.S. dairy farming, in terms of farm sizes, geographic locations, climate, you felt that diversity was a, a, a positive in terms of your export work. Well, I think that there is this belief uh, around the world that the U.S. dairy industry is one big, huge dairy farm and one big, huge processing facility, and and that's it. And when you begin to educate people about the size and and the diversity of of U.S. dairy, how there are farms with 50 cows, there are farms with 5,000 cows. When you tell them that uh, many of the processing facilities are co-ops that are owned and operated, if you will, by by the very farmers that are producing the milk, they get a better feeling about uh, U.S. dairy. And then when you tell them that there's a commitment by these same producers to uh, animal welfare standards that have been internationally certified, the only internationally certified animal welfare standard uh, in the world at this point uh, with the farm program, Farmers for Assuring Responsible Management. When you tell them that this is an industry that's very much committed to a a, a number of sustainable practices where we're using less water, we're using less land, we're we're essentially being more efficient with the feed that we we provide, we're producing more milk, you know, the the numbers are pretty pretty impressive. uh, And we have a commitment to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which is unmatched. Uh, the reality is the FAO, which is oftentimes not particularly fond of production agriculture, had to acknowledge in a recent report that North American farmers, pro- uh, predominantly uh, uh, U.S. farmers, dairy farmers, were the only farmers in the world that actually saw a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions uh, in connection with the production of milk. That's a really good story for us to continue to build on with the sustainability. So when you when you basically educate people about the diversity of size, the diversity of methods and, and techniques, the commitment to sustain sustainability, the commitment to animal welfare, the commitment to safety, and you add on top of that the innovations taking place in dairy. Uh, it's It's a good combination, and I think it bodes well for our ability to continue to compete for export opportunities in the future. Well, as this year winds down with some of the successes that you've mentioned and some of the challenges, what are you looking for in 2020? What should producers watch for in the international scene? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it starts with uh, the uh, commencement, the implementation of the New Deal with Japan, which I think opens up new opportunities for us to be aggressive in that market. The Center for Dairy Excellence will open its doors hopefully in March of 2020, which uh, should allow us to really significantly deepen our presence in Southeast Asia, which hopefully over time will lead to to more interest in U.S. dairy. Perhaps uh, the the deal will be negotiated with China and many of these tariffs uh, will be reduced, but at a minimum, uh, we should see more weight permeate uh, being sold 
in China. We recently did a series of workshops in China uh, to educate folks in the hog industry about the benefits of whey protein, and we're anticipating doing a similar set of uh, programs in Mexico uh, in order to increase uh, that opportunity. The fact that U.S. cheeses are now internationally acknowledged as some of the best in the world, and in fact, the best in the world, that should bode well for our efforts, uh, not only in, in Asia, but also in the Middle East and North Africa, uh, as we try to showcase uh, U.S. cheeses around the world. And the opportunity for us to finally see a powder market, uh, hopefully that uh, with the ratification of USMCA, that isn't burdened by Class 7 in Canada and is not burdened by the intervention stocks in the EU, I think bodes well for a positive and optimistic year in 2020. Well, we're delighted to hear that, of course, as I'm sure are our listeners. Thank you very much for speaking with us, Mr. Secretary. Well, I know it's been a tough time for producers around the country. I know that the stress has been pretty significant, especially for the last couple of years. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges. But, you know, I, I really do believe uh, we're, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. That's certainly the hope. And I can just tell you that your listeners uh, that, that we've got 38 people who are hired and work for U.S. DEC who are dedicated every single day to work as hard as uh, the, the farmers and the processors that we work for in the hopes that we can continue to expand both the volume and value of U.S. dairy products around the world. We've got a great product to sell and we're excited about doing that. Well, we thank you for sharing that story. We've been talking today with former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, who is the CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Thanks for being with us on Dairy Voice. This is Joel Hastings for DairyBusiness.com.